Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this privilege and opportunity to gather together as your children, united in faith. We thank you for adopting us by grace, by trusting faith in your Son. We thank you that it's not about us and our works or earning your salvation. But we thank you for the gift that you give us through Christ. Father, we ask right now that you bless this message, that your spirit guide us and teach us and give us what you intend for us to learn tonight. Open our eyes, open our hearts, help us see spiritual things. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. All right. The peace and stability from honoring God's authority, part two. So this started on Tuesday evening. Uh, this is a recap, basically, uh, of all the India lessons, if you will, and, and what uh, the Spirit brought out of that for us. We started talking about this on Tuesday and the fact that many people in our church really enjoyed the lessons, uh, from the India lessons, which for a lot of people have been in the Word for a while were kind of basic subjects. But the response was kind of off the charts, honestly. So, you know, these type of things we should always be asking, big picture, stepping back, why is the Spirit bringing this to our attention right now? Why are we learning this again if it is a repetitive topic? Um, obviously, there's a reason, and everything's ordained by the Spirit from eternity past. So why did the Spirit lead our pastor to share with us lessons that were designed for people halfway across the world in a totally different culture? As with any lessons we receive, we should always be asking, what's the Spirit's message in all this? What's he trying to say to us? And as you know from Tuesday, as I was reviewing all seven lessons from the India trip, the Spirit gave me the overriding theme in our title, as you see tonight, the peace and stability from honoring God's authority. That's really what all the lessons were about, uh, authority and honoring God. And humble people love and crave authority orientation. And that's why you see you know, a lot of people that, that have been in the Word of God for decades even, and they're so appreciative and so excited about the same topic, about a topic they've heard many times probably. Why is that? There's humility and there's a desire to, to know more because we never, ever can master the Word of God. So the humble person loves repetition about the good ways of God. I mean, how can you get tired of hearing about the good ways of God? How can you get, get tired about hearing about his master plan, both for salvation and for our benefit, our blessing, all the things he wants for us? So on the board, we talked on Tuesday about honoring all authority. Wisdom tells us to honor authority, and it will be well with us. It's that simple. The Word of God is filled with this principle. Honor divine authority and you will be blessed. And all authority 
is ultimately from God. And this is what we sometimes don't want to hear uh, because when there's an authority that's unfair in whatever setting, work, school, church, family, we tend to buck that authority and say, that's not godly or he or she is not from God, so I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to be humbled before them. But that is a wrong application. That is actually being arrogant as though God doesn't know they're in that position, as though God didn't allow them to be in that position of authority. So turn again to Romans 13, verse 1, for a healthy reminder. I mean, we could read this verse every day for a month, and it would still benefit us, really because we're so arrogant. Romans 13, 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Notice it says every person. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. <laughs> I just had a thought. If they still exist, if they're still alive and in that position, God's letting them stay there, right? If they have a heart attack and he takes them out, they no longer exist. And he can do that if he wants to at any time, right? So therefore, if they're still in place in that position, we have to look at it from a divine perspective. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, authority, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. But ultimately, honor goes to God. Honor all authority, because when you honor all authority, you're honoring God's authority. And the fact that he's in control of everything, even when it doesn't appear that way. So if you think about the topics of the India lessons, various authority structures from God were discussed as the way to spiritual growth and peace. Uh, we covered the first few lessons on Tuesday. So on the board, again, regarding honoring all authority, even though the flesh kicks against this, those who submit to the word, Jesus Christ, and his spirit are comforted by his authority and by all authority being from God. God will even use unfair authorities for our ultimate benefit if we humble ourselves before them. So we see a peace and stability that comes from learning the basic truths of the word. 
that comes from submitting to God's authorities, accepting God's authorities, obeying. There's a peace and stability that comes from that because we know it's the way of God. It's the way He wants for us to live our lives. So you know you're in right standing with Him. What else do you really need? So as we review some key points, again, keep an eye on how the basic truths of the Word give you the most comfort, even things you already know, and how honoring God's authority is vital to this comfort as well. Otherwise, you'll be under judgment, as we just read in Romans 13. On Tuesday, we talked about stability in the basics. We are here to master the basic truths of God's magnificent plan. They're not complex and difficult. They're truly simple and pure, and that's what makes them so wonderful. Isn't it a relief to know that God doesn't want us to become some intellectual giants? God doesn't want us to reinvent the wheel, all right, or to, or to do a one-up on the pastor next door or the church next door. That's not what it's all about. It's simple. It's pure. It's following Jesus Christ, right? It's sharing His gospel. It's not changing anything. It's sticking to the Word, sticking to God's plan. And anyone can do that because it's by faith and humility, right? It's not by intelligence or anything else. So on the board, we talked about this also on Tuesday regarding stability and the basics. The foundation just keeps getting deeper and thicker and stronger so we feel the solid rock, Jesus Christ, under our feet. And we fear less, and we receive his peace more and more. This is in regarding to receiving and learning the basics, to being humble before a lesson that you think you already know the subject. If you are humble, this is going to happen for you in your soul, this type of stability that, you, that is unshakable, that gives us what we really desire, honestly, which is peace, which is confidence in our relationship with God. So turn again to 2 Peter chapter 1. I thought I put this on the board this time, but I did not. So go to 2 Peter 1, verse 12. Remember, Jesus Christ is called the rock in Scripture. And He's the only truly immovable rock. You know, even, even the biggest rocks on earth move with earthquakes or whatever. Everything's temporary in this world. Everything's going to be destroyed one day. But he's the rock who truly can't be moved. Second Peter 1.12 Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. So this is a good thing. The Apostle Peter knew how important this was. Going over the basics again. Reminding you the things you're forgetting. Things you already know, but you live like a doubting Thomas. So do you really know it? Do you, have you really believed it? Maybe you haven't fully, whatever it is. So, reminder is a beautiful gift from the Spirit because we are all quite dumb, quite forgetful, quite doubting, right? Let's be real. 
So the Spirit says, oh, you guys need to hear this again. How many times have we heard about authority orientation in the last few years? <laughs> Shows you how arrogant we probably are, right? Because we need to hear it over and over and over again. So it's all having the right perspective towards the Word. Gratefully accepting any subject from the pulpit as a direct message from the Holy Spirit. Do we do that? Do you do that? Again, it's about having the right perspective of the Word of God. There's so much in the Word of God, it's obviously, it's endless. So if the Spirit picks out a certain verse to focus on for a while or a certain subject to focus on for a while, He's doing that with quite a purpose. He's picking something out of a large, you know, variety of topics or options. And He's saying, you need to hear this again. So what's your perspective when that comes up? Do you look at it as a direct message from the Holy Spirit? Our attitude should be, let's enjoy another day of eating the bread of life. I don't care if it's the same bread as yesterday. It's God's bread. Let's enjoy another day of eating the bread of life, the daily bread that he has prepared for us to know and love and appreciate the truth that sets us free. That should be our attitude when we walk in these doors or Read our Bibles. So I hope you went home on Tuesday after the lesson and thought about how the India lessons are permeated with honoring God's authorities. The Spirit is training all of us to stop kicking against authority, to accept it as being from God and humbly honor it, accepting the rewards of God in the process. And what are the rewards? What will we reap we're sowing in obedience. Honestly, the things we desire most in this life, which is peace and stability. Knowing where we stand. Knowing we're loved by God. Knowing these things this, so we can stand on the rock, the immovable rock in our own soul. So we also, uh, again, actually we didn't talk about this point on Tuesday, but regarding stability in the basics, if people would just obey God's ways and God's authority, their lives would be so much simpler and more peaceful. They would have so much less struggle and confusion. Amen? We can all relate to that, right? And this is the idea you want to shake people with. You want to grab them by the shoulders and be like, you don't understand. If you just submit to God's ways, you'll see that a lot of the stuff you're battling just goes away. You know, all the things in the world that you get preoccupied with. You realize they're unimportance. We could go on and on, but again, if people would just obey God's ways and God's authority, their lives would be so much simpler and more peaceful. They would have so much less struggle and confusion, which is what Satan promotes in this world. Struggle and confusion. But the stubborn flesh doubts that and pursues its own ideas. But the one who honors God's authority is going to be blessed. That's been the theme the Spirit's bringing out in this review. So it continues tonight uh, with the Spirit's instructions to the children and youth and women in India. On uh, Tuesday, we talked mostly about the pastors, the Spirit's instructions to the pastors, and also spiritual gifts and honoring that authority from God as well that He gives you. We must remember as we review these lessons, these are for all of us as children of God. 
So change your perspective. Your flesh says, I don't need to hear more about what children and youth need to do. I don't even have any children. Why do I need to hear about what children should do? You are a child of God, my friend. Do you think maybe those principles directed at children are directed at you on how you should live towards your Heavenly Father? So change your perspective. The same with the lessons for the women, as DJ brought out in our leadership meeting on Sunday. This is for me as a member of the Bride of Christ. We're all called the Bride of Christ. So stop thinking about earthly marriage all the time. And, and if, you know, if you're a woman in a marriage, if you're not married, it doesn't apply to you. It applies to every single one of us. We're the Bride of Christ. So this is to teach us all how to be a good bride to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who's called our bridegroom in the Bible, looking forward to our eternal marriage in heaven. We're said to be betrothed to him, if you're a believer in Christ. So on the board, change your perspective. Look at the analogy the Lord gives us through the family structure, that the need for earthly authority is really a call out to spiritual authority and structure in our relationship with God. In other words, every earthly relationship has a spiritual analog to it on how we should be relating to God and Jesus. The first children's lesson was obedience at home, school, and church. And on Sunday, June 4th, Pastor relayed a beautiful 30-minute story of a family growing up together in the Lord in India. And it was a really well-written story. Um, a lot of principles built into the real-life story that you could picture, if you remember, if you were here. I encourage you, as Pastor did, to go home and listen to that story again. It contained much about honoring authority, namely God is our Father, really, if you look at it from the spiritual perspective, and how he patiently loves and teaches us, and how we're to honor his authority as the head of the household. So it was shared with us the importance of obedience and authority orientation by faith. So when you listen this time to the, the, the message online, do so with the spiritual analogy in mind. You are the children in the story, the children of God. So change your perspective. Again, that was a shorter lesson we had on Sunday, June 4th. That was a story to the children. The Spirit then had passed to teach a lesson to the youths in India called Learning to Walk by the Spirit. Here we have another vitally important topic to the spiritual life, right? Learning to walk by the Spirit. Some might call it basic, but do we ever have the basics mastered? completely. Not in the Word of God, we don't. I would argue not even close, even in our life, lifetimes. So the Spirit is testing our humility, encouraging us to reap the benefits of submitting to His Word, to His chosen lessons on topics we think we already know. But again, for humble believers, this lesson was refreshing and encouraging and stabilized the foundation under their feet. 
So regarding the walking by the Spirit lesson, which was geared towards the youths, free will to walk by the Spirit. We saw this in that lesson. Free will to walk by the Spirit. We all have free will. Even after salvation, God allows us to choose whether we will walk by the Spirit or not. Each day, you are given the ability to decide for yourself between what you know is right and what is sinful. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. In James 4.17. The Spirit will convict you. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, the Spirit lives inside of you. He's not going to be unfaithful. He's going to convict you. He's going to use your conscience to tell you what's right and wrong, even if you maybe aren't sure what the Bible even says on a certain topic. The Spirit is with you. He's convicting you. And it's your choice to listen to Him or not. He will help you decide what's right and wrong. When you choose rightly, you're walking by the Spirit. Isn't that simple? When you choose rightly, you're walking by the Spirit. In other words, when you listen to what the Spirit's telling you in your conscience and you obey, you're now walking by what the Spirit is convicting you of rather than walking by self, flesh, etc. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5.16. So we have a free will to walk by the Spirit. <clears throat> Basically, the Spirit will convict you of what's right and what's wrong. It's up to you if you want to obey or not. He's not going to force you. But if you want peace and stability, you should probably listen to the Spirit's direction. Galatians 5.16 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. In other words, choose to walk by the Spirit's guidance and convictions each day. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. In other words, the Spirit is knocking on your soul every day, right? Knocking on your conscience, saying, You, you know that's wrong. Don't do that. Um, he's saying, don't follow the flesh. Don't be a slave. You're going to suffer if you obey the flesh. You're going to have consequences when you decide to choose sin. It's going to hurt you. So your spirit, the spirit, the father's spirit, your faithful father is knocking on your conscience saying, you know what's right here. Again, in verse 17, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, Disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, and in context we could say the fruit of walking by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. For example, the Spirit's been telling us with the American dating counterfeit to stop acting like juveniles, to stop doing things the worldly way. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Spirit of God inside of you. He is trying to guide you every single day. Whether we listen or not is another issue. But your body, according to the Bible, is the holy temple of God. He lives inside of you as a believer. So on the board, look at 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 in the NIV. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We might say honor God's authority with your body. Use your body as a child of God to obey your Father, to do His will, to obey His commands because you love Him. So it's a question of submission humility, your authority orientation towards the Spirit's direction. Again, we're talking about walking by the Spirit, whom is al He's always with you, regardless of whether or not you feel Him or not, is not what you judge by. If we want peace and stability in our lives, we will honor God's authority. So again, on the board, change your perspective. This message for youths is not just for teenagers in India. It's for us spiritual teenagers, us sophomore believers, who need to grow up and be a strong, mature man or woman of God. Again, this message for youths that Pastor gave on learning to walk by the Spirit, it's not just for earthly teenagers in India. It's for us spiritual teenagers, us sophomore believers, who need to grow up and be a strong, mature man or woman of God in obedience. In other words, put the child, childish things behind you, including youthful lusts. On the board again, uh, regarding youthful lusts, this came out in that lesson on Walking by the Spirit. These are the temptations that lead to sin, especially for youths. And again, when you see that term, you know, youths, think of spiritual youths too. Don't just think of earthly so these are temptations that lead to sin, especially for youths. This may be inappropriate desires towards members of the opposite sex, desires to disobey authority, desires to lie, cheat, or steal, etc., as in 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 22. So for us as spiritual youths, how long will we continue to buck authority? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Like, how long am I going to be on the fence with certain things in my life? How long am I going to disobey God, even though I know what He really wants me to do in this situation? How long am I going to compromise with the world? How long am I going to act like a stubborn teenager? How long will we continue 
spiritually adulterating against our Lord, cheating on Him with idols in this world. Because that's what we're doing. When we worship, quote-unquote, an actor, an athlete, um, a place, a thing, uh, whatever, when we, in our soul, tend towards worshiping a person, place, or thing, that, that's an idol. And the Bible says you're, you're cheating on the Lord. The Lord should be your only love, the true love. He's the only one worth, worthy of idolizing and worshiping. So how long will we act like spiritual teenagers? You know, and, and fall for the heartthrob on TV or something, right? Like a, like a goofy teenager. Or will we grow up, look at things objectively, and realize he's the only one worthy of any adoration like that? So I hope you see how these messages are for us in the spiritual realm, learning to walk by the Spirit as spiritual youths. On the board, walk by the Spirit. If you are walking by the Spirit, you will flee from temptation. You can't do both, in other words. You can't walk by the Spirit and give in to temptation. You're doing one or the other, right? You're either obeying the Spirit or you're obeying the flesh and the temptation. So if you're walking by the Spirit, you will flee from temptation. The Holy Spirit will convict you to turn away from your fleshly desire to sin and turn to Christ. Pray, read the Bible, seek relief, do whatever is necessary to make a good decision, to get out of a temptation situation. Um, literally turn, many times literally run away. As pastors given us an example, when you're tempted in a certain area, stop right where you are and ask for his help. Don't wait. Don't try to rationalize your way out of it. Stop. Bow your heads. Close your eyes wherever you are if you need to, unless you're driving. Don't close your eyes. Pull over maybe. But if you need to and, and something is tempting you and, and you're tempted to give into it at that moment, just stop what you're doing and ask for God's help. Because if you're humble before the Lord like that, He's going to give you the grace to get past it if you're humble. He gives grace to the humble. So that, that's always true. That's always there for us. That no matter what mess we're in or whatever, um, how many times we've even failed in a certain area, doesn't matter. It's today. And when you're faced with that temptation, will you humble yourself before the Lord and ask for His help or not? He will be there. He will be there if we're humble. We also saw regarding walking by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit is to walk in love. This is the great litmus test, really, to see if you're walking by the Spirit or not. Remember the fruit of the Spirit we just read about in Galatians chapter 5 started with love. So that is the evidence of whether you're walking by the Spirit or not. doesn't mean you're perfect. doesn't mean you're going to love everyone at all times. It means your habit your lifestyle is, is one of that. Your direction is that. The regular way you live is in love, in God's love. So obey Him. Honor the Spirit's authority over your soul. Walk by the Spirit. Listen to Him when He's knocking. And you'll be blessed because you're obeying His authority. You will be blessed. It's the way God works. And then also regarding walking by the Spirit, we saw this is a supernatural ability given to believers by God. 
The unbeliever does not have the Spirit of God inside of them. The unbeliever does not have the Spirit of God like we do as believers. We're given supernatural ability to follow Him, to obey Him, to hear Him in whatever way God reaches you, which is different for all of us. But He is uh, knocking. So if you're humble, He will give you the supernatural ability to follow Him, to live in the new life that you were born again to enjoy. You were born again to enjoy the peace and stability of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You were born again to, to, to know you have eternal life, to know that He's with you at all times. He'll never leave you or forsake you, as Scripture says. That's why you were born again. You were born again to live like an adopted child of the King now, not to live in confusion, like we talked about earlier, and doubt. So our last point on this lesson is uh, walking by the Spirit. This affords true believers unlimited access to the power of God. Just think about that. You and I have unlimited access to the power of God. And if we rely on the Spirit, He literally can do anything in our lives. As Jesus said, all things are possible with Him. So this affords true believers unlimited access to the power of God through the Holy Spirit who motivates them to persevere and empowers this very thing. I mean, we all have times that we wonder how we got through something. You know, we knew we didn't have the strength to do it. We knew our pain or our weakness in the moment. And then before you know it, things work out and and God even gives you strength to do something you never thought you could do and you have a victory in your life. Well, he's the spirit is motivating us and teaching us and guiding us constantly. So he he's he's our power. Even as uh spiritual teenagers that muck it up, he's right there, he's waiting for us to submit, waiting for us to be humble, waiting for us to honor his authority. So then we had beautiful lessons for the women of God. And we saw that when a woman honors her authorities, there's nothing more beautiful in this world. I don't know about you, but when I meet a, a godly woman, we obviously have many here in this church, but even like when I'm, when I'm out, you don't meet many, let's say, strong believers out there, right? You don't meet many people that are willing to boast about their faith and, and you can see even the peace in their heart. And when you see that in a woman that has respect for authority, there's nothing more beautiful than that, a virtuous woman. So on the board, again, change your perspective as we get into this topic. Spiritually speaking, God's design for the virtuous woman is a picture of us all as the bride of Christ. We have the calling of the woman in our relationship to the Lord. So pay attention. It's not just for women that are married or thinking about getting married. It is literally for all of us because that's our role in our relationship to the Lord. So first we saw God's divine design for the woman on the board. There's a difference between authority and superiority. This came out in that lesson. There's a difference between authority and superiority. Women are subordinate, not inferior. 
there's a tendency in the world when they think about what the Bible says about men and women relationships or husband and wife, etc. The world thinks the Bible says women are inferior. But that's not what it says at all. It says they're treasures. It says they're beautiful. It says they're vital to even the man's work in this world, the man's role in this world. They're vital. They're not inferior in any way. They may be subordinate because somebody has to make the final decision on something. And God said, well, that's going to be the man. That's just how God designed it. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ is our man, our husband, that we, he's the final say in our lives, right? As the bride. So again, this point on the board, the spiritual analogy is this. Even though we are Christ's bride, we are not inferior to Christ. Just like he no longer calls us slaves, but friends. In John 15, verse 15. We're not going to go there right now. But Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. Obviously, that's nothing man-earned. But Jesus elevated believers from inferiority to being one with him. So we certainly deserve to be called slaves and to be inferior but our bridegroom has elevated us to be one with him by grace. That's, that's the truth. So there's another good picture on the board that women are not subordinate, or w- women are subordinate, but not inferior. And it's the same thing with our relationship with the Lord by grace. So that's part of God's divine design for us as the bride of Christ. Then we talked about the first marriage. The first marriage, the first human institution was marriage. The term joined in Genesis 2.24 carries with it no room for divorce. One flesh refers to the sexual relationship ordained by God for marriage only. So something that God's been putting on my heart more and more over the last year is how sacred and holy marriage is in God's eyes. It is such a sacred, holy, set-apart thing in God's eyes that I think, um, at least I underestimated it, or I didn't take it as seriously and have as much honor for it as I think he wants us to. So the woman's role in marriage is as the helpmeet to the man. It's designed by God to be a lifelong commitment, which allows it to be relied on for stability and peace in one's life. If it's not a lifelong commitment, if it's not designed by God to be that way, and he tells you to stay in it, don't give up, this is, this is your destiny, okay? Like on the board, one flesh, you're joined, that's it, right? That's God's intention. If there's not a lifelong commitment, how can there be peace and stability? If there's always an out. Now, the world has messed it up. We, a lot of us have messed it up in our lives, but... This is God's design. That's the important thing to understand objectively. Don't get condemned at all. Just look objectively at God's design and now apply it spiritually to our relationship with God. Remember, it's also a picture of the spiritual analogy. We will one day be joined with Christ perfectly and forever. He's called the bridegroom. We're called the bride. And if there's one marriage that can never get a divorce, it's that one. Not because of us, 
because he's perfect, number one. And then number two, he makes us perfect when we go to heaven, when we get new bodies. We have no more sin nature. There is no possibility for divorce. So earthly marriage is a picture of our heavenly marriage on the board. At least that's how it was intended. The heavenly marriage. There's no chance for separation. There's no fear for divorce from the Lord because our bridegroom is perfect and ever faithful. Thus his promise that no one shall pluck you out of his hand in John 10, 28. So again, the intended lifelong commitment in marriage it's a picture of God's unending commitment to those who trust in His Son for eternal life. I will never leave you or forsake you. So being engaged to such a perfect husband in heaven, how should we act towards Him while on earth? If He promises to never leave us or forsake us, and even save us from our sin, how should we respond as the woman? As his bride, how should we respond to his authority? Shouldn't we do it with intense gratitude? With servanthood, with humility? Of course. But the woman's desire also came up in this lesson. As part of the woman's curse, she would struggle forevermore with God's command to submit to her husband and her fleshly desire to lord over him or to disrespect his authority. The woman on earth after the fall in the garden, is always going to struggle with submitting or honoring her husband's authority. And so will we, because we have these sin natures, just like the woman and Adam, you know, was given to them at that point of failure. And so we have that same sin nature. So we're the woman, unfortunately, that disobeys our Lord, our husband, from time to time. There's always going to be that temptation. There's always going to be that desire in the flesh to kick against the Lord's authority as our husband and Savior. So that is a reality. It's going to be a battle while we're in this flesh, while we're on this earth. But we can choose to be the virtuous woman. We can choose to have humility and faith and surrender to the Lord. And if we do that, what are we going to get? Peace and stability in this life and, of course, in the life to come. So on the board, God's design was compromised. The fall in the garden introduced many ungodly complexities in the union of Adam and Eve. No longer was peace and contentment the order of the day. Rather, struggle was ever present in every aspect of living. It truly was a curse. It wasn't, life wasn't easy anymore. Peace and contentment were not the norm anymore. But the one that humbles himself to God's authority and designed for marriage will be blessed with peace and stability, even honoring the faithfulness of our perfect husband in heaven. So the quest for us as believers, as the bride of Christ, is to humbly submit to our Lord and Savior and live life as a virtuous woman for him. Just like the Proverbs 31 woman. Live life as a virtuous woman for him. Respond to his authority. Respond to his commitment to you, which is everlasting. Respond in thankfulness, in gratitude, in servanthood, and you will be blessed. The virtuous woman is above all oriented to authority. 
That's what makes her truly lovely and attractive, the humility and honor she gives. She loves and submits to God's authority, respecting His design and His call on her life. In the earthly realm, women, if, if you wives disrespect your husbands, you're disrespecting God's design for marriage. You're literally insulting God when you dishonor your husband. All right? And I know, trust me, when he's wrong, he's wrong, right? You still got to submit, surrender. The only time we have the right to disobey any authority is if we're told by the authority to do something against the Word of God. But other than that, you don't, you don't have any legitimate grounds to be dishonorable. And if you want to be blessed, you will surrender and you'll pray and you'll ask God to fix the situation and you will be blessed. So again, keep the spiritual analogy in mind. The virtuous woman is above all oriented to authority. That's what makes her truly lovely and attractive. She loves and submits to God's authority, respecting his design and his call on her life. She realizes how much the Lord has forgiven her as well and the blessings that he's given her. Now, as I'm saying the word her, you should be thinking the bride of Christ too, you. On the board, the virtuous woman, spiritual and practical wisdom plus moral virtues make the character of the virtuous woman. We saw that in Proverbs 31. She is the embodiment of God's design for woman as he created her originally in the Garden of Eden. So this describes the humble believer who submits to the Lord and lives the life he asks of them. Lives the life that their husband, our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ asks. And what's the virtuous woman's goal? In Proverbs 31, isn't it to bring glory and honor to her husband? Everything she does is to bring glory and honor to her husband, ultimately. What a picture of how our walk should be, our daily lives should be. On the board, the virtuous woman, her words are also not empty. She is diligent in her love for the Lord, God. Her love is evident in her desire to labor for her family as unto the Lord. Again, make the spiritual analogy, being the bride of Christ. A true believer doesn't just talk, but does good for the Lord, like a good wife. He's diligent in growing in his love for the Lord. His love is revealed in laboring for the family of God. Again, look at the point on the board. The virtuous woman is diligent in her love for the Lord. Her love is evident in her desire to labor for her family as unto the Lord. Love is shown in labor. If you appreciate God's grace, you want to do more for him. If you really appreciate his grace, you, you are overwhelmed when you realize how much you're forgiven so you want to do more for him, out of love. That's the virtuous woman. That's us as the bride of Christ. That's the opportunity we have to be a virtuous believer, to be a good wife to the Lord. The virtuous woman is also satisfied with her lot. In fact, she understands that to perform her duties as unto the Lord within her own household, 
is to glorify God in time. At no point does she feel inferior to man. Rather, she feels honored to serve him. Why? Because that's God's design. That's God's authority design. She feels honored to serve him. Because God designed her that way. This is your role. Will you do this role for me? Because this man, he needs help. Will you do this role for me? And so, spiritually, he asks us as the bride of Christ, will you live for my son? Will you honor my son? Will you be faithful to my son? Or will you cheat on him with the idols in the world? Do you humbly perform your duties within your household, which we might call the church, as a virtuous woman? That's a sign of honoring God's authority, by the way. Do you do whatever your duties are as unto the Lord, to glorify God even in the littlest things. You know, a good virtuous woman, she tends to the little things very well. Just read Proverbs 31 when you go home. She pays attention to the little things. She thinks ahead, all for the benefit of her family, all for the benefit of bringing her husband more glory and honor in the town, so to speak. So the virtuous believer is honored to serve the Lord because he has taken her from inferiority and made her his own. Just think about that. We take the Lord for granted. We take what he did for us and eternal life and grace for granted. But if we really reckon what he's done for us, our everyday should be a walk of gratitude and be like, how can I serve you, Lord? What can I do to make you look better in this world? What can I do to honor your name in this world? On the board, we also saw the virtuous woman is diligent in every way, even in business. She does not have idle hands. Rather, her desire is to work hard for her family. Her motivation is to glorify God, giving thanks for the opportunity to do so. Who are we to even have the opportunity to bring glory to God? Right? And he says, I'm going to not only give you the opportunity, I'm going to give you the power. I'm going I'm to help you walk by the Spirit because the Spirit's going to be in you, knocking on your conscience, telling you the right thing to do, even when you're not sure. I'm going to be there. I'm going to give you everything you need to bring me glory. So we should be like the virtuous woman, giving thanks for the opportunity to even do so, as in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. So make the spiritual analogs, again, as you see these points. On the board, as we begin to close, the virtuous woman is sensitive to the needs of others. She's compassionate, always open to helping others in need. Just as the Lord Jesus was compassionate and gracious to so many people, so we are called to be compassionate and gracious as his bride, even towards those who hurt us. We're called to represent him properly. We're his bride. Wouldn't it be a shame to get to heaven and realize that you, as a lifestyle, wasted most of your life away, that you didn't bring any honor to him as the bride? I mean, there's going to be no greater disappointment for a time. But we have this opportunity right now, folks, to be this virtuous woman 
for the Lord's benefit, for his glory, for his reputation, even in our local community. Because people are always watching you. Once they know you're a believer, they're always watching you. There's people you don't even know that are watching you because someone told them about you and your supposed faith. There might even be people that tempt you on purpose to sin, to see you fall, to see you bring dishonor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't underestimate the wiles of the devil. He'll do stuff, he'll use people, but you're his bride, so represent your husband well. On the board, as a result of her own industry, her husband benefits. In the community, his own reputation increases. Remember how a pastor is called to be, have a good reputation in the community, according to the scripture? How important is that when this man, who some people doubt, any pastor, they, they say, ah, you know, he may, I don't know, who, who knows if he's a real deal? Maybe he's just a, a charlatan, like a lot of them. How many people are keeping an eye on that person and waiting till he stumbles? So they can discredit Christ, ultimately. And so it's vitally important for the pastor to do that. It's vitally important for all of us to do that as the bride of Christ. So again, as a result of her own industry, her husband benefits. In the community, his own reputation increases. She brings honor to her husband and therefore the entire household. The virtuous believer lives a life that brings benefits to the Lord and his name. He's honored because of his bride's lifestyle. So he not only brings honor to the Lord, but also to his household, the church family. I say he now, switching to the believer, right? It's, if we're supposed to bring, if the virtuous woman is supposed to bring honor to the household, don't you all have a household right here? Like even if you don't, even if you live alone and you're single or whatever, don't you all have a household? Isn't this the house of God that he's given us? And so we can bring glory to the Lord by serving the household. We're members of his body. A couple more points. Her character and integrity, the virtuous woman, her character and integrity run so deep that she wears strength and dignity as her clothing. She's confident, wise, and the very embodiment of kindness. She's grace and love like her Lord, Jesus Christ. This is the believer who chooses to submit to God's plan for his life. He walks by the Spirit and therefore produces the fruit of the Spirit, such as love, joy, peace, patience. That's what the woman wants to do for her man, for her husband. And finally, her greatest attribute is that she fears the Lord. Her greatest attribute is that she fears the Lord. She loves him and serves him always. Every other task in her daily walk is a function of serving him. For this she is praised rightly. Just like God gives grace to the humble, if you serve the Lord in humility, you will be praised. You will be blessed. And most importantly, you'll bring glory to God. Bring glory to your husband. So for more introspection 
about your role as the bride of Christ, go home and read Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. And insert yourself in there as the virtuous woman to your Lord and Savior and husband in heaven. So I hope you've seen in this review that honoring God's authority permeates all relationships in life and all have a spiritual analog to our relationship with God and with Christ. And living in our calling in humility will bring peace and stability, the peace and stability that God desires for us to have as his children. Amen? All right, let's close. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word and your spirit. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and for our permanent relationship with him as believers, as those who have surrendered to you as Lord and Savior. Father, we ask that you help us obey your authority at all times. We need your help, Father. You know how weak we are. You know the sinful desires of the flesh. We ask that you help us be humble, have more faith, and bring honor to our Lord and Savior and husband, Jesus Christ. Help us bring you the most glory possible, Father, as a virtuous bride. And also, Father, help us bring these truths out to a lost and dying world that needs them so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.